answers them all. Now, uh, I know there are questions we could ask that there really aren't answers to. In fact, uh, just the other day, we, went, we had opportunity to go to the, the funeral service for uh, Ken White, as we've mentioned, uh, who was a former member here, and a real blessing to the ministry and, and, and work in the time that they were here. And um, <clears throat> I just remember his wife asking me, in fact, I, I brought it up uh, as we were uh, leaving. I, she brought up a question that, um, you know, you always like to think you have the answers, but I had no answer for and uh, the question was, why does God need angels? Don't know. Uh, you know, he's omnipotent, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. He doesn't need anyone to be there. I'm not worried about it. I asked her on, on Friday at the, at the funeral service, I said, you think Ken knows why the Lord has angels now? So... Uh, and she said, I, I, I think he does. I think he's got to figure it out. There's questions we don't have answers to. We never really will have answers, perhaps, to. And questions that don't need to be answered, necessarily. Um, but I'm thankful that when we have legitimate questions about things, that God takes the time to answer them, aren't you? And sometimes, with questions, God still takes the time to answer them. Is, uh, is very gracious and kind way. And in Exodus chapter 3, we kind of have that. We have both, I call it, questions and excuses. Uh, because it seems like, in some ways, some of these questions were excuses not to do what God wants. But on the other hand, there were some legitimate questions that, uh, that Moses had. And so, uh, we're going to look at those. We're going to begin in verse 11. Uh, it goes all the way to chapter 4 and verse 18. So we're not going to read all of that right now. But uh, I'm hoping that you're rather familiar with them. Let me start in verse 11 and we'll read just uh, maybe through chapter, uh, through chapter 3. It says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I? By the way, this comes, I better say this, and I think you would already know it because I preached it just last week, verses 1 to 10. But this comes after God said, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh. And you're going to go to him, and you're going to present my cause, if you would, and, uh, and you're going to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And that's in verse 10. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I, when I come unto the children of Israel and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said, moreover, unto Moses, This shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say unto them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me, saying, I have surely visited you and have seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. 
unto a land flowing with milk and honey. And they shall hearken to thy voice, and thou shalt come, thou and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, The Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. And now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. And I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go, no, not by a mighty hand. And I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt with all my wonders, which I will do in the midst thereof. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty. But every woman shall borrow of her neighbor and of her that sojourneth in her house jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment, and ye shall put them upon your sons and upon your daughters, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. What an amazing passage we read as we see his questions, and then we'll see in the latter part his excuse. I remember reading and seeing a story where Calvin and Hobbes in the Calvin and Hobbes comic strip was, uh, uh, you know, he was in school. And, and boy, when he was in school, you never knew what was going to happen. He was a little boy with an amazing imagination. He was notorious for daydreaming in school. A number of times he was found guilty of, of uh, you know, not paying attention or uh, not doing his assignments. In one of the comic strips, he asked uh, his teacher, Miss Wormwood, isn't that a great name for a teacher? I think I had some teachers named that. Did you ever read the history chapter I assigned? And Calvin replied, I tried, Miss Wormwood, but the book publisher didn't use the proper print fixative. Needless to say, when I picked up the book, all the letters slid off the pages and fell on the floor in a heap of gibberish. Well, in the next scene, Calvin is approaching the principal's office. And he says, I think my excuses need to be less extemporaneous. You ever made excuses as to why you weren't doing something you should have been doing or you should be doing? Uh, you know, have you ever excused yourself from something claiming you were unable? It's part of our human nature to make up excuses for failure to do something or excuse ourselves from responsibility. It's, a, it's part of what uh, many times just happens in, in life when we're put in situations that we don't like or we don't want to be part of. But you know, in spiritual matters, God doesn't want us to let excuses keep us from doing that which is right. And, uh, and I'm thankful that God does sometimes very patiently work with us and help us to understand what we need to know and challenge us. There are many things that God has told us to do and practice in life. And I suppose God has heard just about every excuse in the book, don't you think, over the years? I don't know if you ever heard the one on about, uh, you know, uh, the fixative of uh, print fixative on letters in the book. But I'm sure God has heard many excuses like Moses when God wants us to do something or tells us to do something. Now, God doesn't come to us in a burning bush like he did Moses. And the situation here was truly a unique situation and a special calling, without a doubt. But these questions are questions that, quite frankly, you and I will often have asked to do things in the Word of God or when we know God wants us to do something. Uh, it might be something like witnessing. You know, I've heard many people say, well, I can't be a witness for Jesus Christ. And then an excuse will follow. 
You know, well, I just can't speak in front of people. Uh, you know, I, I can't do it. I, I'm, I'm shy. It's not for me. I don't know. You can fill in the blank with whatever excuse. But quite honestly, um, I think there's more Moses in us than we're willing to admit many times. And so let's look at these excuses and these, not all excuses, let's look at the questions and excuses and see uh, what God tells us and what we can learn from them. Because, as I said, many of these are things that we might uh, ourselves uh, be wondering. And they're good things to have an answer to. Now, again, I got to say it, no one's going to be called in this room like Moses was. If you see a burning bush, run that's not burning, okay, not being consumed. But these questions, these excuses are still made even yet today. So in these two chapters, let's find some practical answers because we all have something to do for God and we ought not make excuse. All right, so the first question that is asked is this question, who am I? That in essence is what... 11 and 12. In fact, it is. You see those words and Moses said unto God. I mean, all right, we've got the first statement. Who am I? Now, he wasn't asking, boy, you could ask that in a couple different ways. Who am I? You know, who am I, though, seems to be the way he's asking it. I, I am Moses' problem. What was it? What was Moses' problem here? I thought that through. What would you say it was? I'm, okay, it's just us here. Sunday night, right? Okay, all right, doesn't have self-confidence, all right, perhaps. I think there's some truth to that, all right? Folks, focus might have been on self, not on God. Okay. Okay. Uh, I think there's, there's some real truth in all of these, all right? I, when I put down Moses' problem, there really were two things that came to mind, and I think we could easily argue from, from the context of what we know of Moses' life. I think two things would be, I am unworthy, and then I am unable, which kind of ties in with some of those things that you said. I'm unworthy, and I'm unable. Now, it's impossible to know exactly what excuse Moses is giving here, uh, for not moving forward. Uh, he could be that he saw the task was too great. Um, he could be that he, he just said, you know, hey, look, I, why, why would you call me? I, you know, I'm just a shepherd here. You know, I'm no one important. I don't have any position of importance. Now, it might be a little bit of both. Uh, although we're not told, let's just uh, say that we could argue both the unworthy and unable. The unworthy point could be supported by the event that took place 40 years earlier. It's the reason he's in the backside of the desert now, taking care of sheep. And, uh, and, and the reason why he is not in Egypt and doing what he probably would have been doing right at that time, getting ready to deliver the children of Israel through God's help. See, he had been running. And maybe what came to mind when God started to talk about him going back to Egypt was his failure already. I got ahead of the plan of God. I blew it already, so why would you call me? And, and who, who could use me at this point in my life? Uh, I haven't accomplished anything. I have, I've just been wandering out, in the, if you would, in the wilderness. I was. 
And, uh, you know, I can't really do anything at all for God. Um, maybe he was thinking of the danger of going back. Um, I don't know, but unworthy is certainly one of the things we could argue would be uh, an excuse he was giving when he said, who am I? And then unable. Um, and, you know, that could arise from that same issue 40 years earlier, right? Uh, I, I'm unable. I mean, why, why could he do it now? He's, he's 40 years older. He was 40 when he, he did it the first time. Now he's 80. You know, not a spring chicken. At least according to our understanding, he's not a young guy anymore. So why would he think he could do it now? He couldn't handle it when he was 40. He didn't ha deal with it right. So why would Moses think that he would, he would be able to do it now? And by the way, how could he even hope to have a hearing before Pharaoh? I mean, really, you think about this. It's not like, well, I don't know, I would think even in our day, you just can't walk into the Pharaoh and say, hey, I just wanna, I want you to deliver the children of Israel. Um, so there had to be some things that were going to take place that were going to work, and, and he would think, hey, there's just no way I'm able. Um, at one point he thought he was able when he killed the Egyptian, uh, but now uh, I, I can't do it. Now there's a sense in which Moses was right on both counts. If these were his, indeed his arguments, he was inadequate for the task. He couldn't do it on his own. Who could? Seriously. Who could go stand before? I, I don't care how much talent you have. Who could go stand before uh, the, one of the most powerful men in the face of the earth in that day and say, I want you to let, the, uh, let a, a group of people that you've held as slaves for years go? Like, right? Um. The truth of the matter is, he already miserably failed, and he would fail again if he did it on his own. But we were reminded just a little while ago with that verse, with God, nothing is impossible. So Moses' problem, I'm unworthy or unable. And I want you to see, and I, I think this, is, um, uh, this really is a, a wonderful answer. God gave a promise. God didn't say, Think about this. God didn't say, Moses, you need good self-esteem. He didn't say, Moses, you're a wonderful person. By the way, that's the way that we deal with it today. You're great. You can do this, man. You're more powerful than you really could ever imagine. Let me tell you, that's the kind of language that people would use today to try to convince someone to do it. God didn't say any of that. God didn't, God didn't pretend that Moses was adequate for the task at all. I love the answer because when God said, or when he said, you know, who am I? God didn't say, Moses, you're wonderful. Moses, you can do this. Moses, you're great. Moses, you're big enough for the task. I know it. Here's what he said in verse 12. Certainly, I will be with thee. So, what was God's promise? I will be with thee. Um, God, again, didn't suggest at all, you can do this, Moses, on your own. 
in other words, it's not who I am that's important, but who is with me. It's not what abilities I have, it's who's with me. That is all important. We know the promise of Hebrews 13.5. We quote it all the time, but it really is a tremendous promise to believers, even today in our difficulty. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Um, Moses had a skeleton in his closet. <laughs> Literally, no. A skeleton under the under his hand in his closet. Um, you know, he had something to hide. Things in his past which, if brought to light, would make people think that they were unfit for he was unfit for service. Um, in Christianity, it doesn't matter what your past is, because here's the truth, and and I'm being mean to you because same is true for me. You're nothing special, but with God. Nothing shall be impossible. And we need to remember that. Uh, I'm nothing special. God is. And Peter reminded the believers of that. I'm, Paul did, I'm sorry. In 1 Corinthians 1.26, he said this. For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. You know, God chose the foolish, foolishness. He chose fools. I always think it's amazing when when someone thinks they're they're hot stuff in Christianity because God hasn't called mighty great people, and I there's a reason for that because God can use people who understand I'm not worthy and I'm not able, and if you'll come with that attitude, quite frankly, then God can do something with with you and through you. So. I love how this is it. Didn't give him a... You can do it. Go, 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 go. All right? Moses, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. Second question. I mean, you, you look, I know, you see, I put it in the nose for you. Who are you? you say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, Moses' problem was, I don't know what to tell them. What am I supposed to tell the Israelites? That's a fair question. How could Moses prove that he was indeed the man for the job? Why would anyone believe God had spoken to him? Hey, think about this. Would you listen to some guy who said God spoke to him? If someone came into church tonight, God spoke to me. Say, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not following that guy. I'm not following that guy out onto 31. You know, if God told him to do that. More power to you. I'll, I'll, I'll keep my phone ready and you have 911 ready to dial, you know. Uh, hey, I, you know, I'm not going to. So Moses didn't know what to tell people. And that is found here when he said, when I come to the children of Israel in verse 13, and I'll say, God has sent me. And they ask, what is his name? What am I supposed to say? Who are you? Now, that, I don't say, say that in an irreverent way, but look, what was going to lead the leaders of Israel to listen and trust him? And it had to be that there was someone else that had authority. 
that it was God. And so God gives an answer. What was God's answer? Look at verse 14. Let me tell you where he started. He started with his person, God's person. Didn't he? What, what did he say? I am that I am. Okay, pastor, you're going to tell us what this means. That's about all I can say. Um, you know, men, all, men are all over the place on what God intended to say in that simple statement, I am that I am. Uh, Adam Clark gave numerous examples of what has been said. And then he wrote this, as the original words literally signify, I will be what I will be. Some have supposed that God was simply designed to inform Moses that what he had been to his father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his fathers, he would be to him and to the Israelites. I will be what I will be. I was to Abraham. I was to Isaac. I was to Jacob. Moses, I will be to you, and I will be to the children of Israel what I always have been. I am that I am. I think that's a good way to understand it. But he also said this. He said, um, it is difficult to put a meaning on the words, but they seemed intended to point out, and I think this really is probably more the direction, the eternity and self-existence of God. I exist. I am. I always have been. I change not. Without a doubt, that statement, he wanted at least to get across the idea, I exist. I am the eternal, self-existent God of heaven and earth. The same God that appeared to Abraham, the same God appeared to Isaac, the same God that appeared to Jacob. I haven't changed, I never will. By the way, isn't that kind of interesting that Jesus was said of Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forever? Because he is God. Um, he doesn't change. He changes not. And that statement, I am. By the way, Jesus Christ used that statement as well. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. And he used the title that God used for himself when speaking to Moses. I am. Um, and God told him to say that to the Israelites. Just tell them that I am has sent me unto you. Um, and then he continued, he continued on, did he not? After he said that, by the way, it, it's interesting. He said, say that to the children of Israel, verse 15, Right? And then what, is, what was he supposed to do in verse 16? He was supposed to gather the elders, and he was supposed to tell them something, right? And then, um, then he said, uh, let, let's see if I can find it. Okay. Um, and then you'll talk to the king of Egypt in verse 18. 
and say, the Lord God of the Hebrews hath met with us. So God, he gave him an answer for all of these, right? Who are you? Okay, let me tell you. Here's what you present to the children of Israel. I am the self-existent one. And then when you meet with the elders, say, the Lord God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob appeared unto me. And then when you stand before Pharaoh, say, the God of the Hebrews, that God. So he just described and he took time to talk about his person. And the answer is, look, the answer is not, who am I and what can I do? But the answer is, God has spoken. And uh, Moses needed to know that and the children of Israel did too. But not only do we have uh, God's person mentioned here as he answers that question, who, who are you? But he also gives a promise, God's promise. And this is interesting to me because it's kind of come together as I was looking at these questions. It almost seems like in each one, God gives a promise. So, you know, you know Abraham, or sorry, Moses is probably still saying, okay, all right, not really sure about this. And I love how God answered this excuse because he said in the first one, I'll be with you. But look at verse 18 and what did he promise? Okay, Moses said, who are you? What am I supposed to tell him? And then he said, here's what you tell him. You meet first with the, the, all of Israel, and then you meet with the elders. You tell them what I've told you. And what did he say? Yeah. He said, they'll listen. They'll do it. So, so look, th this cannot be an excuse any longer. I'm telling you, I'm promising you that these people will listen to you if you tell them and give them these answers. Now, I don't know if he was sitting there saying, don't sound really good to me. I don't know. But he gave, God gave a promise to him. Now, he said, again, I'll be with you, and then they will listen to your voice. And God went further, because it's interesting. Um, what happened when he first went to Pharaoh? Because he said, wait, didn't he say? He said, they'll listen. Right? But didn't he also give a promise in regard to Pharaoh? Yeah. He won't listen. I want you to know that. Now, there's a reason for that, and he explains. But God really went into detail here. He could have just said, go tell them that, they'll listen. But, you know, when Pharaoh said, who is the God of the Hebrews? And who are you? You know, Moses probably would have been out the door. He was discouraged, by the way, and I can't help but imagine or understand the reason why, because, I mean, the people weren't happy with him either. Why would you ever go into Pharaoh? Because you only cause greater problems. Am I right? That's what happened. But God gave him a promise. He said, they're going to hear you. They will listen to you. The children of Israel will. Pharaoh won't, but he will eventually because I'm going to do a work. And I'm not just going to do a work that's going to get them out of the land of, of Egypt, but I'm going to do a work that causes them or enables them to spoil the Egyptians. And who would have ever predicted something like that? Hey, look, the only one that ever spoils an enemy is someone that goes in and wins the victory. And then they can take to the victor belongs the spoils, right? Isn't that the saying? There's a reason why that saying was, was made. If you go in and you lose a war, you don't get anything. This, this is profound. I know you, you never thought that through before. 
But if you go and you win a victory, unless you're an American, because if you go and you win a victory in, in America, you go and you help that country and you get nothing, and they walk away and they, they send you away a little bit later, and they're mad at you. But normally, when a country goes in and they win a victory over another country, they get what they want. They can take what they can have what they want. The spoils. So look to think that Israel would be able to leave Egypt. That was a miraculous thing. But God said, I'm giving you a promise that they will not only walk out of that place, but they will walk out with everything they want. You know, if they like some jewels of an Egyptian, they're going to go and ask them for them, and they're going to give it to them. I, was, I just thought that amazing. So did they go like the night before and say, could I borrow your, your diamonds, please? <laughs> I like these. Oh, take them. Yeah, be glad. You're only going three days' journey into the wilderness. You're coming back. I don't know. I, I, they're going to borrow of the Egyptians. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay. See, I, I, I see humor in these things sometimes. When you, all right, none of you do. Forget it. All right. But God makes this wonderful promise. And what was impossible humanly, God promised. And God answered. Because they did. They walked out with jewel, the jewels of Egypt. They walked out with it, whatever they wanted. They had it all when they left. Third question. This is, how can I convince them? Chapter 4. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thy hand? And he said, A rod. Stop right there. Let's get with Moses' problem. They will not believe me. I need proof. They won't believe me. I need proof. Okay, I'm going to go back to that question I asked a little bit ago. If someone stood up in the service and said, I have a message from God, your response would be, you're nuts. And you might not say that out loud because you're too nice for that. I would, but no, you wouldn't. You know, you're, you're too nice for that. But you'd be thinking in your mind, he's lost his marbles, this guy. He, you know, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Now, there's a good reason why you would say that, and you'd be extremely skeptical, skeptical uh, because you understand that, that, that God doesn't talk to someone like that today. And, and by the way, you would be correct. You better not follow someone that tells you something like that. Like if someone gets up and says, God told me to build a hospital. Don't listen to those kind of people. Some of you, come on. Some of you remember Oral Roberts, don't you? Yeah. Divine healer and God told him to build a hospital. I still can't figure that one out. <laughs> That's the only one that ever saw that. All right, so when someone tells you something like that, you better be, better be questioning it. But with Moses, I, okay, this is legitimate. I, I'm standing up and I'm telling people God's spoken to me and they're going to say, prove it. And it does hold a measure of truth that needed explanation or needed some answers. And the fact that God took time to answer this indicates at least God saw this as a, a valid question, at least to an extent. And I, again, I got to say, I'm glad God took time to answer the questions and help Moses get past the nagging doubts. Now, the last question is out of line, but this one seems pretty good. All right, so what do we, what do, we do? What do I say? You know, how am I supposed to prove it? God's prescription. It's found in verses 2 to 9. And it starts with a rod. And he casts the rod on the ground. It becomes a serpent. And Moses did what any human being would do, unless you love snakes. 
and I don't, I would have been running too. If it was a spider, I would have been running. I mean, you know, either one, that's fine. If it was a mouse, I would have been running. I just don't like critters. If it was a rat, I would have been running. But man, if it's a snake, I'm out of there. I just don't, don't like snakes. And maybe some of you would be, <laughs> some of you would beat me out of there. I understand that. And the Lord says unto Moses, put forth thine hand and take it by the tail. We brought this out the other day. You don't take a snake by the tail. If you have half a brain, you don't take it. I know that you don't take a snake by the tail. First of all, I'm not even going to get close to it. I don't know, I don't know how, how I would have been. Like, eh, I don't know about this one. Moses did, though. And it turns back into a rod. An amazing thing. And then, by the way, when he does it with the, the, the uh, Pharaoh and his magicians, and they do the same thing, I love what happened. Right? What happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We got the bigger snake, people. All right. The snake gobbles up theirs, and then Moses picked it up, and it became a rod. So those guys lost their rods. Isn't that great? Okay. So they had to go out and get their own new stick, you know? But Moses kept his old one, and it worked well. It was very effective. But God just said, all right, look, my prescription is here. I'm going to just prove. So if they have any objections, Moses, you just throw that down. And just like you ran, um, I suspect they will want to do the very same thing. And you pick it up, and they're going to know that this man has heard from someone far beyond our ability. And then he didn't leave it there. He said to Moses, put um, uh, in, um, in verse 6, put that, your hand in your bosom, and he put his hand in his bosom, and he pulled it out, it was leprous. Would have been terrifying to anyone in that day. Leprosy was, in, in many cases, a, a death knell. And, um, and to have that happen, to put, have it put in, I, I just, I don't know, I, I, I could see Abraham, uh, you can see Moses saying, <gasps> You know, I just, you know, <laughs> what now? You know, put it back in. And, he, it, and, and when it came out, it was as his other flesh. Um, it, it just an amazing sign and picture of the, the power of God. Verse 8, it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, what did he say? Look at the end of verse 8. Okay, so do you see this? With each one of the valid questions, God shared some things, his prescription, but then God gave a promise, didn't he? They will believe you, Moses, when you do these things. And it's great. Look at verse, verse 9. Okay, I, there must have still been doubt in his mind, right? So he says, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe also these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, then Moses, let me give you a third thing. You take water and you pour it out, it's going to become blood. And, and um, you know, that's going, to, that's going to seal the deal. All right, so do, do you see what God does? Here's a man comes to God. He says, God, I have a question about this. And God, I have a question about this. And God, I have a question about this. And some people view these all as excuses. I, I, actually, actually, I have some questions about that myself. Were they all excuses? Maybe they were, because in the first 10 verses, 
God already told Moses who he was. And God had already proved to him in the burning bush and just in the conversation, this is who I am. I mean, we got a glimpse of God last week when we looked at those 10 verses. So in reality, I could say Moses should have been ready to say, all right. But when he asked these questions, there at least some validity to them. He needed to know these things. And so God takes the time and he says, look, here's, here's what you need to know. And then here's my promise. Here's what you need to know. Here's my promise. Here's what you need to know. Here's my promise. And that, it's just wonderful how God deals with and God helps him with these questions. And then we come to the final one. And, um, and so we have, don't you understand my weakness? In verse 10, Moses said unto the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb or deaf or the seeing or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with thy mouth and will teach thee what thou shalt say. Moses' problem. <laughs> I'm not the right person for the job. Well, we might debate and argue whether the first three questions were needed or valid. This last statement cannot be defended. The reason why is because God makes no mistakes when he calls a man to a task. And God answered that way. God shared his power. I'm not the right person, and God shared his power. Verse 11 is something we need to remind ourselves of. Who hath made man's mouth? Hey, hey Moses, if I call you, and you, you have a problem speaking. If I call you Moses, and I am, who made your mouth? I, you know, I can help you overcome this. I can deal with this. this that's not a big problem. I made your mouth. I, I made the dumb, the deaf, the seeing, the blind. I made them all. And by the way, Jesus healed them all. I have control over all these things. So Moses, this is not a valid question. I, I'm not the right man for the job. No, you are the right man for the job. And what you don't have the ability to do, I do. And what you can't do, I can. During my college years, I worked for a construction company I've talked about before. I was, I was a gopher. I, I, you know what? I didn't mind being a gopher at all because there were some benefits to being a gopher. Um, you know what a gopher is? Yeah, you go for this, you go for that, whatever they tell you to go for, you go for. Um, now, my boss would call me in and he'd tell me I, I needed to go for something. Gopher, there you go. And sometimes my gopher job took me to his house to watch his kids while his wife went to an appointment. Uh, happened a couple times. Uh, a couple times he, he told me to take the kids because his wife was fed up with them to Chuck E. Cheese. I got paid to go to Chuck E. Cheese. Uh, wasn't bad, you know? I, I really, some, some of the gopher jobs were good. Um, when he worked late, he would ask me to go for dinner. And he'd say something like, I want Chinese tonight. Go to the Chinese restaurant and get me, and he'll give me a list of three or four things. Now, I was a college student. I could have said to him, I don't have any money for that. 
and I would have been telling the truth. But that wasn't my concern. Um, he had the money, and he gave it to me every time. My job was to go for it. And his job was to supply what I needed to go for. And, uh, and what I liked about the gopher job is that he covered my food as well. So he, when he sent me, he would tell me, get whatever I want. And he would. He literally would do that. He was very, very, very kind to me. But my point is, when my boss sent me, he was the one who had to provide anything I didn't need for the task he was calling me to. And if my boss would do that in a job, in a secular world, why would I ever think for a moment that God would call me to something that he wouldn't empower me to and give me what I need? Like when someone says, I can't be a witness. What do you mean you can't? If God told you that you will be a witness for him and you're supposed to be, and that is the great commission and that is what he promised, and he said he'll give his Holy Spirit to enable, then look, God... If he's sent you, if, if you're the gopher, God will supply when you go. That's his job. And that's what he said in this passage. Moses, I made your mouth. So if I'm sending you, I can take care of this. And I really, as I've read through the book of Exodus, uh, it seems like Aaron, now, now we don't know because we're not told exactly, but it seems like Aaron kind of was the spokesperson at first because he still says, oh, I, I can't do it. And God is fed up with him. His anger is kindled. He says, Aaron's coming and he's going to be glad to see you. Um, you know, and, and he'll be glad to go. He'll be glad to go. And he'll be your spokesperson. But it seems like a little bit into this, Moses ended up being the spokesperson. And I think it's because Moses uh, came to the place where he finally surrendered to God. I, I, I mean, I don't know if we can prove that, but God gave a promise in verse 12. You go, and I will be with your mouth, and I will enable it. Look at what it says in verse 12. So I made these things, verse 11. Then now go, therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. Okay, Moses, you're the gopher. I'm the boss. Um, go here and do this. And I'll, I'll give you the money you need. I'll give you, I'll give you the, the, the things you need. I'll give you everything that you need. I, I, and, and God isn't limited. My boss was limited. He didn't have everything, but God isn't. So God's promise and then God's provision. And M Moses takes it way too far here. But a merciful God, this is amazing, saw fit to provide an answer in Aaron. So Moses had no excuse any longer. Okay, Moses, you know, if, if you're going to be this way, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. I would not want those words ever said about me and what God thinks about me. But God said, Moses, that's a, this, this is, this is not. and he could have just said, Moses, go now. Don't you think? And yet, graciously says, all right, Aaron can speak, so he's going to go with you. And, uh, and you give him the words to say, and I will be, look at verse 15. Thou shalt speak unto him and put words in his mouth. And he said, 
this this amazing. And I will be with. Wouldn't you expect it just to say his mouth? Moses, you're going to give him the words to say, and I will be with his mouth. Isn't that what you would think? I'm going to be a spokesperson. Be with your mouth, and I'm going to be with his. And so God still kept came through. So God's promise and then God's provision. A merciful God saw fit to provide an answer in Aaron, so Moses had no excuse, and he could do God's job. All right, so here's a conclusion, if you would, of this whole thing. There's no problem with valid questions. In most tasks, there are questions that come in life we don't have answers to. And when we don't have those answers, there's nothing wrong with asking God. There's nothing wrong with digging in his word and looking for answers. There's nothing wrong with going to God and making requests. Um, Getting counsel and walking with God so his spirit can lead and guide and searching the scripture. Those are all things that we can do when we have valid questions. But there is a problem. When God tells us to do something and we're refusing when we're not trusting and obedient to his word. And when those doubts about ability come, we need to realize that there's a God in heaven that if he calls, he'll enable. He has in my life a guy who said he would never speak in front of people, um, who, who definitely didn't want to and certainly didn't have great ability to do it. And... Um, and if the first devotional was, was any indication, it wasn't looking good. The 25-minute or 30-minute challenge that I had took five. And I was extremely embarrassed and ashamed. Um, and, yet, and yet God did something so that a young person at the teen challenge got saved that night. Because, you know, it's, um, if God does the calling, God does the providing. And we need to remember that. And whenever you're tempted to say, I can't do it, and God's told you to do it, you, you need to see there's a problem with that. Because the God who made man's mouth, the God who made man, has what you need for the task. Um. Morris's cannot make it in Ecuador. If they're listening, it's true. Morris's can't make it in Ecuador on their own. They don't have the ability to do it. But the God who called them does. And he's already proved himself mighty, people, in their lives, in providing support in a, in a reasonable amount of time and giving them the abilities that they have. And God's God has to meet their needs if God's called them because he, he will not fail his people. And Christian, it's not just for them. You can't live for God. You cannot live for God on your own. You can't do it. But the God who made you and the God who's given you the responsibilities that you have as a Christian will meet your need. He will because he's God. And this passage to me is so encouraging because it's a guy who said, God, I don't think you can do this. 
and God says, I can. And God proved he could. And he did. And with God's help, Moses did exactly what God said he would do. And God did what he said he would do. And he's still the same God today. I am. The same I am that called Moses will enable you when he calls you. Remember that. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.